In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The prologue of John is just beautiful poetry. I hope that as, you, as we go through it in this Advent season, that you're able to just kind of enjoy the beauty of it. It's beautiful imagery. It sets up the truth of Jesus in sort of a different way for us, but it, it, it importantly, it weaves together images rather than telling the story in a narrative way that we're maybe used to going into around this time. It calls Jesus the Word. It calls Jesus the light. It calls Jesus the life. It's sort of daunting to seek to capture a piece of this, you know, like reading the Bible is like turning a gem in the light. New reflections come when you come back to it, and so you can see new things each time you come to it. And it's the same with the prologue of John for us, because these images are so rich, so deep. The same is true when we come to speaking about the light and life of God and Jesus. This is Jesus' story, but it's also our story. This is a thing that we are a part of as well. It's our inheritance. And so this, like I said, this isn't in regular terms of speaking. It's not the baby in the manger. It's not setting up the story of Jesus in that way. It's not a historical account, as we would maybe normally say it, about the birth of Jesus. John doesn't set up the life of Jesus with that sort of account um, about the couple uh, traveling long distances, fleeing violence, and being denied a place to live. He doesn't tell that story. Although that story is true and it's important, he does it in a different way. John's nativity scene isn't the baby in the manger. Uh, It's not that sort of narrative account like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I would think about this a little bit. If John were a a painter, he's less a classical painter. He's more of an abstractionist. He's more Picasso. If uh, we have classical music on one side, and that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we have John, and he's a little bit more of a jazz musician, kind of riffing here and there a little bit on themes that he really likes. But it's refreshing for me. It's really refreshing. It's such rich imagery, poetic language. It compacts these huge truths about the creation of the world and the humanity of Jesus into such a compact space. The beginning of John's gospel sets up the story of Jesus in this unique way. It frees itself of retelling the history of the story, but it's allowed to tell the story and bring in these themes and these images that tell us these deep truths about Jesus. So this didn't happen in the way that we think about it, you know, the baby in the manger, that happened. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. 
we don't have a, a moment in history where that necessarily happened. But what I love about this prologue of John is that it allows us to dream in new and different ways about the Christmas story. It's been said about the Bible that it, the significance of the Bible is not only in the fact that it happened, but that it happens. It's not that it happened, although that's important, but it's that it happens. The text reads, The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. Can you put this slide up there? Sorry, yeah. I got my clicker here. Where did I lose it? There it is. The text reads, The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. Again and again, it happens that in the presence of Jesus, it makes itself known to us, but we don't recognize it because it upsets the apple cart of how we've ordered our lives or the things that we depend on. Again and again, it happens that we trade a light-filled existence for darkness and isolation, for sin, resentment, and shame. Again and again, it happens that if we forget that we are a part of the family of God, that, that we're born into that primary identity, again and again it happens that we forget about that, the, the primary identity that we are children of God that crosses historical or geographic or social norms. It's not that John 1, 1 through 12 happened, it's that it happens. And this is why we retell the Christmas story again and again. It's why we believe the good news is good. I marvel at the succinctness of this beginning of this passage, how quickly it goes from the beginning of all things and then drills down. It just like narrows down like a really wide zoom if you begin at the beginning of a movie and it has the vast landscape and then it zooms in straight into the point of what it's the beginning of the movie, the beginning of the story. This is where we come in. Last week, Pastor Lars talked about John the Baptist and the model that he gives us for holy interruptions in the Christmas story. I think that that's a great reminder for us. How that can serve as a model for us to make space and time to keep the main thing the main thing as we seek to put Jesus first. But after that interlude about John, it zeroes in on where we come into the story. This is where it starts to get personal. One of my favorite lines that John writes here is, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Firstly, I love the, the inevitability of this line. It says, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. It doesn't set it up as like an option. It says Jesus is coming into the world. There's evidence all around. That's not really in question. The only question is our response. A central piece of the gospel is the paradoxical nature that it will continue with, with or without us, sometimes in spite of us, I think. John the Baptist would later in this passage describe himself as the one calling out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. So there's a wonderful image here that God's light and path won't be extinguished or obstructed indefinitely. So why not awaken ourselves to the reality of that light? Let it inhabit us and claim that truest extent of that light. Second, one of the things I love about this is he says the true light which enlightens everyone. And I love when uh, words have two different meanings. That word enlighten can be read two different ways, the, depending on how you look at it. We can think of enlighten as, you know, the, the, the sort of the knowledge way that you would think of it. 
when you are given knowledge, it enlightens you. It opens up new avenues of understanding in your head. But to enlighten something is also to give it light. I mean, very literally, you enlighten something and you bring the light out. Third, this theme runs throughout Jesus' whole life and ministry. You are salt and light. Let your light shine before others. This idea that John introduces of the true light coming into the world fits into and it sets up this long narrative that Jesus would then come to embody, live out, and seek to have us come into a partnership with. The true light. Not true as in true or false. It's not a dichotomy there. And and that can be a little bit confusing for us because language sometimes limits us. It's not talking about true as opposed to false. When we say true here, it's more speaking about the true source the only true source. The true light is the real light. It's the only light, what we might call the one true light. This one true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. And one of the things I think is most amazing about the Bible is that the older and older it gets, the more that we discover that there are these hidden truths, these nuggets of truth hidden within it for long times that we just didn't really fully understand. The more that we learn about science and the world, the more that we look at it, the more that we see the God of creation and how intricately intricately he made things, how beautifully he made things. The same is true as we look at the same light that gives us light. The implication of this line, the true light which enlightens everyone, is that you and I don't have light of our own. The The life light that enlightens all people, it shines through us, but we don't own it. We are not the source. We are that which the light shines through. Our life and light are not our own. They are gifts of grace. So the extent to which we have life and that we are light is the extent to which that life and light is alive within us. The extent to which we have darkness and death is the extent to which we extinguish or we block this light. And I think that this is a little bit more than a metaphor. The story of Jesus is that this life and light is among and within us for us to claim and make brighter, and that because of the light and the example of Jesus Christ, we can be children of God, brothers and sisters, that this grows in us, it becomes more and more bright, and it shines more and more brilliantly. But there's something interesting about light. I was a film major in uh, college, and so we got to go through uh, classes all about light, and we would go into these big warehouse where we would talk about the color of light, and you would talk about, you know, okay, you set up a light here so that, you know, you have this shining in this area. You want to make the scene look good, and so you set up lights, and you do all this different stuff. But light is so much, it's a really, really interesting thing. There's so much more. When you learn about the source of light, you learn about more and more, I think, about who God is, how God creates. In the 1600s, Isaac Newton, uh, we're going to nerd out for a little bit here. Uh, Isaac Newton, uh, when he was in the 1600s, there there's been various understandings about light throughout history. And Isaac Newton had this idea that white light, this light that's coming in or is coming in through the windows, was not what it seemed. Up to that point, uh, there were a lot of theories about light, but Newton dug deeper in and further than most discovered. And what he discovered was that white light, as we understand it, was actually much more than that. He called this theory, and I think that this is just fantastic, he called it the celebrated phenomenon of colors. That's just like so good. I love it. I love it. And, he, and you know that when Isaac Newton wrote that, he was like, 
this is a good one. You know, I got this. And he was discovering something really significant, so he had to have a really good name for it. The celebrated phenomenon of colors. I love that. I love it when science and poetry kind of come together, and it's just so good. Uh, Up to that point, prior to this time, color was believed to be a mixture of light and dark. It was accepted that a prism, have that? A prism was something that colored light. So they had prisms. They knew that prisms uh, would create a rainbow, uh, but they believed that this was what created color. But it was Newton that demonstrated that light itself was responsible for color. How cool is that? I love it. He demonstrated this by capturing white light, and he refracted it through a prism to demonstrate that light is actually a combination of all color, that all color is contained within this light, and that the full spectrum of light is needed to create variances of color. So if you'll excuse me, uh, we're going to go to the science fair for a second. I didn't participate in science fairs as a kid, so I get to do it now. Um, I, uh, made, I made a uh, little uh, demonstration for us this morning so we can uh, understand maybe a little bit more about uh, light. Uh, we have, what we have here is we have a box, a light source. If it works, there we go. So we have a light source. So we have a flash in a box that I cut a hole in. And then that's shining through a lens. creating. So you won't be able to see it very well, but I took pictures, so don't worry. So we have the white light shining through here, but what Newton discovered was that if you took a prism and you uh, put it, placed it in front of the light, you could then refract that light. And the process of refraction is when light passes through something and certain light has a wavelength that's uh, it, it's resisted more by the substance that it goes through. And so as it's resisted, as it goes through, it splits it apart into those different pieces. So you guys are a little far away, so you might not be able to see it in the back, but you can see here that the light is no longer just the sort of white light. You can see a variation within it. Um, but if you do, do it a second time, it compounds that effect as well. You can see a different variance of color. So this is a picture I took. So those of you that are up front, you get sort of the house today where you can see that variance of color. And so what he demonstrated was that there contained within white light was all the colors of the spectrum. And that's where we understand what the color spectrum is from Roy R O uh, Roy G. Biv. You know how that works. Roy G. Biv, all the way from red all the way to violet. And so you can see the color spectrum there. And so what he demonstrated was that all of that color white light. But they had known that around that time. And so Newton, he wanted to demonstrate it a little bit more because they were like, okay, yeah. The prism is actually what's making the color, but what he discovered was that the prism was actually that which was revealing the color that was already present. And so what he also demonstrated in his next experiment is he discovered and he demonstrated that the same prism that diversifies the light is the same light that is the same thing that unifies the light. The same thing that the variance of color is the same thing that unifies it, that brings it back together. You can probably guess where I'm going. This was a really important discovery at the time because up to that point, they didn't have a really rich understanding of what color was. Um, What he discovered was that light is responsible for color, not the things that uh, are colored. The only reason that my shirt appears blue is because my shirt is reflecting blue color from the light. Oh, there it is. Um, It's reflecting that blue color and it's absorbing all the other colors of the spectrum. 
So this opened up all these different understandings. And more than this, it's true about light that the color of anything in the world exists only because of that source of light. Newton's theories allows us to see the individual diversity of light, and it understands the spectral nature of it. And the color spectrum gives us a unified theory of the source, and it reveals a nature of how light really shines. So when we take this discovery of Newton in science 1,600 years after the time of Jesus, and the truth of Jesus being the one true light which enlightens everything, we find that that which gives us uniqueness is also that which unites us. That which gives us our diversity and the uniqueness in our lives is that which also brings us together, that which unites us. What I love about this is that this was true when John wrote it 1,600 years before, when John wrote the words of, Saul, of uh, John 1. That was true. The phenomenon of colors existed then. Newton just discovered it. If this has been true for millions of years about light, millions of years before John thought of it, millions of years before people had any understanding of what light was, do you think that it's true that there are things that are true about us, uniqueness is in us, things about us that shine forth that we don't know yet? I think that that's a pretty significant thing for us to think about. In what way is the true light which enlightens everyone waiting to be discovered within us? The phenomenon of color that exists within our community, within our world, the true light which enlightens everyone is that which gives us uniqueness and that which brings us together. So this ought to be an affirming word to us, an encouraging word within the Christmas season because we learn that Jesus is this person that comes into the world that seeks to enlighten us, to give us knowledge, to give us an understanding of who we are. Sometimes we need a word about our bigness and we need to understand, look, look how good and perfect, look how good and beautiful you are as a child of God. And sometimes we need a word about our smallness. Sometimes we need a word that, un, that places us rightly within God's story. So you can read this, the end of this passage where he says that we are given power to become children of God. You can read it two different ways. You can read it as, you are one of God's children. You are unique. You are gifted. You are foundationally loved and forgiven. You are a light shining in the darkness. This means that we, that, this means that we matter. This means that we were worth saving. This means that the innate gift of our life is precious to God, that we're never too far away from God that he will not bring us back. And you can read this another way. You can say, you are one of God's children. You're connected and you're bound to the flourishing of your brother and your sister, that we are expressions of color in the spectrum of God's grace and gift. This means that we have to stay aware of the wideness of God's family, that alone we will wither, that unto ourselves we're bound to perish, that without connection to the source of light, we dwell in darkness. So sometimes we need a word about our bigness within God's story, and sometimes we need a word about our smallness. Can you imagine a world in which the light of only a few of God's children got to shine and grow brighter? If it was all red light, if it was all green light, why settle for less than the full spectrum of God's grace and gift? Why perpetuate any idea that one color was superior to another? 
or a world in which our hearts didn't break when the light of others was snuffed out or grew dim or intentionally locked away? Why settle for anything less than the one true light that enlightens everything? And yet we do. We live in a world that wants to convince us that our uniqueness of our light is our own rather than a variation of the one true source. Christ is the prism by which we can distinguish our individual uniqueness. And Christ is the prism that unites us and brings us back together that we may be his body of love and light shining forth ever brighter into a world. For friends, the one true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own And his own people did not accept him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, children of light, children existing on the spectrum of God's grace and gift to be brought together to shine forth into the darkness. So may it be so for us and for our Christmas season as we live in the light of Jesus' light. Let us pray, and as we pray, we'll pray our Lord's Prayer as we close, and then we'll stand and we'll worship and we'll sing hymn 198. Let us pray. God, thank you for this day. As the light of the sun comes out from behind the clouds on days like this and it's warmer out, we're able to discern the goodness of your world, the goodness of your creation. And Lord, I pray for each of us that are here that we understand that we are uniquely a piece of your story. That from the wideness of the beginning of the world, you thought of us, your children, and that you give us the power to become children of God, Lord. So Lord, we lift up these prayers to you, our hearts to you, our lives to you. And we pray the prayer that you taught us to pray by your Son who unites us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn this morning.